Hi, everyone, and welcome to Food Disruptors, an IFT podcast that brings you the latest insights and perspectives from some of the brightest minds in the science of food. Each episode, our guests discuss the ever-changing intersection of entrepreneurship, innovation, and science in their role in advancing the global food system. I'm your host, Matt Teagarden, and today's podcast is in celebration of National Food Safety Education Month, and we're speaking with three experts in food safety, and we'll explore the latest trends, including COVID-19, food traceability, and the FDA's new era for smarter food safety blueprint. Speaking with me today is Thomas Burke, IFT's own food safety and traceability scientist, Dr. Bob Gravani, Professor Emeritus of Food Science at Cornell University, and Dr. Catherine Adams-Hutt, Principal at RDR Solutions. Thanks so much, all three of you, for joining me today. Our pleasure. Thank you, Matt, for having us. Thank you. So let's uh, take a little bit of a step back and start with uh, maybe a little bit more basic of a question. So recently, we've seen some recalls of produce, including bagged salads, onions, and there's some fear of contamination and some citrus like lemons and oranges. What impacts do such large-scale recalls have on the food industry? Uh, Catherine, let's start with you. Well, I think it's fairly obvious they are significant impacts. Uh, not only do they do they upset the supply chain and certainly disrupt the business for the producers involved. Um, those producers have a supply chain also from the farms all the way through to retailers, and that's um, disrupted. But I think the other very significant impact is on consumer confidence. And consumers worry when they hear that food has things in it that will harm them, whether it be cyclospora or salmonella uh, or E. coli, uh, and certainly the litany of food recalls going back. You know, I think the turning point perhaps was 2006 with the E. coli food uh, recall in spinach, where consumers really started to worry about about uh, the safety of their food, uh, particularly in fresh produce. And I think it really uh, certainly changed the food industry, specifically the produce industry at that time. Um, but we've grown and we've grown and we've learned a great deal in collaboration with the regulators and also the epidemiologists and public health specialists. We've learned a great deal about, about tracing um, and root cause analysis. And I think that has kind of really prompted the, uh, uh, the tipping point for FDA to emerge with their new era, Smarter Food Safety Blueprint, which I think is very interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into that. So, Bob, any any comments to add here? Yeah, I do. I think that what um, these recalls also do is send a message to the industry, in addition to what Kathy said about disruption throughout the supply chain and certainly the, the undermining of consumer confidence in brands and companies and et cetera. I think it's important to recognize that no matter what products are grown or harvested or, or processed or prepared or merchandised, we really need to think about risk-based prevention-oriented food safety management systems. And, and this puts everybody on notice that they really need to be robust, well-designed, properly Im implemented, and, and maintained to prevent foodborne illness and these product recalls. And I think that as, as recalls continue to occur, um, it just puts everybody in a mindset that we need to be much more vigilant and have food safety top of mind at all at all times. Right. It's, it's about prevention. That's, that's a great point. Uh, Thomas, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think uh, Kathy and Bob really covered actually the points that I was, um, that I was <laughs> thinking about quite well. The one thing that I will have that I've been looking at an in interest in addition to kind of what we call the commodity killer effect. And, and when consumers are, you know, concerned about particular commodities that have been implicated in previous outbreaks is really what does does this mean in COVID and in the in a COVID world? Um, this I feel that uh, consumers in general have been very aware of the impact of their environments and the um, products coming to them um, with all the disruption in their lives, and so I think we've you know been able to um, you know learn more about how to how to respond to outbreaks, and how to better accommodate the consumers and in, in their confidence of products. Um, but in COVID, I think there's an additional complexity to people's, you know, anxieties around, um, you know, around the products that they consume. So, but yeah, additionally, you, we always find a um, an additional 
aspect of a particular pathogen or a particular uh, food vehicle whenever there is a new outbreak that occurs. And so that really influences what we look for um, in our uh, public health surveillance and in our response efforts. Right, right. And so I, I do want to touch on what we're definitely going to talk about COVID, but I want to lay some more groundwork here. Thomas, part of your job is, is looking at food traceability. So um, I think Catherine or Bob mentioned traceability before, but Thomas, could you help us define traceability and talk about the role that traceability plays in a recall situation? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, this is kind of my uh, bread and butter of uh, the uh, of the role that I play at uh, IFT at the Global Food Traceability Center. You know, simply traceability is the systematic ability to trace and track uh, food ingredients and products throughout their supply chain journeys. So really the ability to trace backward through, uh, you know, the pedigree of a particular product or ingredient um, and the be able and the ability to track uh, product as it moves uh, forward. So in a in the context of food safety, traceability is most important. And you know the trace back and uh, trace forward components of the uh, investigation. So when you're you know uh, in a food safety emergency, you're determining what the pathogen is through the laboratory methods. You're figuring out what the food vehicle is through the epidemiology, and then you're conducting the trace back on that um, particular product to find the convergence point and to be able to trace forward to find what products are, where the products are located in the supply chain so they can be effectively recalled um, and, you know, thereby uh, ensuring safety for the consumer. And uh, so this is a systematic ability, as I was talking about. Um, this is the processes and methods in order to efficiently obtain information about products and where they are in the supply chain and to be able to actually um, use that information to improve food safety systems into the future. So right now, um, and this is kind of plays into the new era of smarter food safety, um, we're kind of going through this transition um, in traceability, really from a more manual one up, one down process to a ability to connect uh, the you know, various supply chain actors uh, in an end-to-end -end fashion. And this is really enabled through digital technologies, stand data standards developments, and uh, also, um, you know, a regulatory environment, which is, you know, the new era really touches upon. Um, so it really involves a wide variety of skill sets, but is um, really based in, you know, how is food uh, produced and how is it distributed? Excellent. Thank you. Matt, can I weigh in on, on traceability as well? Absolutely. Go ahead. Well, I think that companies really need to collect and, and manage uh, the right information about their inputs, about their products and processes to reduce the risk and, and track their products, as Thomas said, through the supply chain from beginning to end. And, and I think as, as Frank Giannis has mentioned in his uh, IFT Shift 2020 presentation, Clearly, uh, companies need to do a, a much better job of digitalizing their traceability uh, inputs uh, that m much of the system, many of the systems are clearly paper-based. And in today's world, that is not terribly efficient in uh, tracing back products. So uh, key data elements and critical tracking events are really important components that need to be included in uh, robust uh, traceability systems. And, and those will certainly help to identify any defective product and, and certainly prevent it from reaching consumers. And, and this really is, is the key to retrieving those products from the supply chain and preventing foodborne illnesses and obviously recalls. So uh, I think there are also some great examples um, of how companies have used enhanced and robust traceability systems and captured these key data elements and critical tracking events to improve that end-to-end uh, -end traceability. And they've, they've certainly demonstrated uh, increase in sales, decreased labor and operating costs, and, and uh, certainly improved their return on investment through those increased sales and operational efficiency. So there's some great case studies out there of companies that have really, um, you know, moved forward uh, with technology and improved their their ability to track and trace products. And if I can, if I can just weigh in on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think what we see with FDA leading this food safety blueprint and really driving the use of technology, you know, for not only 
not only food outbreak tracing and predictive technologies uh, that I think are very astute uses of artificial intelligence, but they're also, you know, really talking about um, doing things within the supply chain that the industry needs some leadership in. Uh, the use of global standards, uh, I think, really enabling some of this work to be happening, but also the use of, of technology to monitor temperatures and transit to monitor a location of produce um, of other products in the supply chain. And I think, you know, Frank Giannis's leadership at FDA is really kind of unprecedented in a certain way. And that is he comes to the job with a lot of, of experience in a food retailer at Walmart and food um, uh, service operations at Disney. So he looks at, at the whole issues and the challenges that FDA has always faced through a different prism. And I think it's very helpful in bringing this new food safety blueprint forward and actually engaging in conversations that the industry will benefit from, uh, you know, as we collaborate to use technology to link the different data pieces together to give us knowledge. And I think that's really a, a wonderful place and time to be. Absolutely. And a, and a great uh, opportunity for all of us to move forward. Great. And I think you all are illustrating really well this, this evolution from really, you know, antiquated systems to these new um, data-rich systems that can operate efficiently and quickly. And, you know, there is a benefit to the consumer, of course, but Bob, as you pointed out, there's definitely a benefit to uh, the manufacturers and the food companies using this technology, which I think all of these are, are really, really great points. So I do want to uh, address the, the elephant maybe in this virtual room and, and shift gears a little bit to talk about COVID-19 and food safety. I'm curious as to what you all are seeing. We, we did talk a little bit about this in some previous episodes of Food Disruptors, but now that we're um, six, seven months into this pandemic here in the U.S., I'm curious, uh, any changes that you've seen over, over the last couple months um, and any new developments that you're seeing with COVID-19 and food safety? Uh, so, Catherine, why don't I start with you? Sure. I think, you know, the question is like, where do we begin? Uh, there's so much in terms of impact, but I think it's really important to start with a statement that we know that COVID-19 is not a foodborne disease. It's not something that is transmitted through food. Uh, yes, there's concern about packaging, handling of packaging, et cetera. But really, I think it's very important that we just kind of stop and pause for a moment and recognize that this is not a foodborne illness uh, and not one that's that's easily transmitted or transmitted through food. But where, where I think we see all the the implications for food safety, which are profound, is the way that consumers have changed their behavior. We have uh, a third of people, at least a third, working from home and continuing to work from home and plan to continue to work from home even after this uh, COVID-19 crisis has passed. We have people eating at home more. 70% of households are now uh, who now consume 80% or more of their meals at home. So they're doing a lot more food procurement. They're doing a lot more food preparation. They're getting food online. They're getting food through delivery. These delivery tools have not been challenged with food safety uh, handling, uh, safe practices before. Uh, and so we've got to kind of really educate a lot of different folks to make sure that that they're, they're handling food and preparing food safely at home. We have a lot of rules and regulations for those food service operators through the food code and state regulations and city regulations. Well, the homes don't have those regulations and don't necessarily have the uh, the proper training and the proper tools. So we've got to start there and make sure people are doing things safely at home. Right, right. Thomas, any, any thoughts you want to add here? And then we'll go to Bob. One impact, and I think it's, you know, I think it's related to food systems more than the, the food safety that I've, I've seen in the response to COVID, because it has, there, there has been quite a few different domains, as Kathy alluded to, that you know, COVID has impacted. But really, I've seen this concept of supply chain resiliency and thinking around, you know, how do we ensure our food safety commitments and our, you know, our, um, you know, normal operating means, but while also having to be nimble and responsive to very rapid shifts in demands and really rapid shifts in, in, in supply as well. And, you know, how do we, you know, utilize you know our knowledge currently, and how do we improve our systems into the future so that we can that we can better respond to that that what you know these what may happen in the future in supply chain uh, scenarios. So where you know not only are there the you know is are there um, events like 
uh, pandemics, but you know, natural disasters and other um, types of events are disrupting supply chains more and more every day. So, you know, there's also just been some general excitement about using, you know, digital technologies to improve resilience as well and being able to have enhanced monitoring and and uh, a little bit more, you know, minute actionation on, um, you know, upstream supply chain events. Bob, how about you? Any thoughts on COVID-19 and food safety? Yeah, I think uh, Kathy hit it on the head. Early in the pandemic, there were clearly concerns about whether the virus was going to be spread via food or food packaging materials. And I think to the credit of FDA and CDC and other scientific organizations, they came out quickly with statements to the contrary, allaying the fears of of many consumers. I think there are also um, issues early on with Uh, food workers becoming ill with the virus and companies shutting down, creating possible food shortages. And certainly, well, there were some companies that had employees become ill and did shut down to recover. The food chain, the food supply chain was clearly resilient and food shortages, as we think about them, never really occurred. So I think that's another testimonial to um, the food system being resilient and, and working properly. And again, to Kathy's point, I think that uh, as more people began baking and more people began, if you will, who, who didn't cook, began cooking, and others who did cook got more elaborate with their food preparation practices, um, there was clearly an ongoing concern about um, uh, home safe home food preparation. And obviously, many consumer education programs through the USDA's Meat and Poultry Hotline and, and the Partnership for Food Safety Education uh, continue to stress safe preparation practices, including the, 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 the mantra of clean, separate, cook, and chill to prevent foodborne illnesses. And I think certainly um, all of these things have, have uh help consumers better understand the need to uh, take care when when uh, preparing foods at home. And I think that that's just such an interesting point. If I can just add to yeah, go ahead. I think one of the great silver linings to this whole thing is that is that finally we have taught consumers how to wash their hands. The the bane of the the food service <laughs> environment is you know, we can't we can't get people to wash their hands. They don't want to sing happy birthday for 20 seconds and wash their hands. Well, this whole emphasis on, on hygiene and health and, and uh, avoidance of COVID uh, is, has really, I think, focused people that they do have to wash their hands often and they have to wash their hands properly. And I think that has been one of the, the silver linings in, uh, in our COVID-19 pandemic crisis. <laughs> Kathy, I was thinking about how COVID-19 has changed people's vocabulary. We hear people talking about things like pandemic. They probably never thought, thought about that before. They're thinking about sanitation and disinfection and hand washing and 20 seconds and just on and on and on. So we've really, through this crisis, if you will, have uh, expanded people's thinking into their own personal spaces and how we as humans can certainly transmit things like viruses, et cetera. So it's, it's a, it is a silver lining and I totally agree with you. Right. I think we see this, you know, really anticipating to continue as well as people continue to make more meals from home. Uh, the number of people who need to feed their children lunch uh, now is is increasing with remote learning at home. Uh, I don't envy any parent who has to homeschool their child uh, and, and manage the remote learning, but uh, but I think it's it's a very interesting time that uh, our, our family structure, our household structure is really evolving and, and changing to focus on those at-home meal preparations. So again, just emphasis on the fact that we've got to help people prepare those foods safely. And I think if they continue to do that, I think we really will change the home environment for food handling and hygiene. Well, and I think that that's just such an interesting point. You know, food safety is kind of everyone's responsibility to themselves and their family. And me as a food chemist, you know, I would have, I never would have thought that, you know, all this home preparation going on could actually be a food safety risk, but you're totally right. And I think it's it's good to put yourself in that that food safety mind frame. Can I just stop and point out another another element too? Absolutely. Uh, and to focus on this because I think the the whole delivery, delivery of home uh, or I'm sorry, delivery of, of 
retail products and also the delivery of takeout foods from restaurants uh, with the with the numbers increasing of people getting uh, food from the restaurants to take out the carry out meals being 72% of the foods um, that are coming from restaurants that get through drive through or, or pickup. Um, these modes of food acquisition really also have to be sensitive to you know the changes that we have to have in food handling and food food preparation and food preservation because they're just not used to maintaining food in a safe way and transporting in a safe way. Uh, we used to talk about you know, the concerns that we had of people buying food from the grocery store, meats, eggs, um, perishable items, and putting them in their trunk and then driving around for two hours before they before they actually got home and put them back in the refrigerator where they belonged. You know, we have this happening with Uber drivers and, and DoorDash drivers and Fed and everyone else and Amazon deliveries. And I think this is an area that we really have to be careful that they're managing the perishable items correctly and that consumers have the right expectations about how to manage those perishable items as well. Well, and Catherine, I think that's a really good segue because um, as we mentioned before, the, the FDA recently shared their blueprint uh, to the new era of smarter food safety that has four core elements. Um, traceability is one that we've talked about, um, smarter tools, business models and retail modernization and culture. And I think that the points that you're making, Catherine, are, are really poignant on their uh, new business models and retail food modernization focus, because as I understand, this is really uh, intended to address how to protect foods from contamination as new business models emerge, like maybe those that we're seeing in COVID-19, and also how those business models change to meet the needs of the modern consumer. So I'd like us to have a little bit of a discussion on how food safety has been challenged by some of these new formats that are, are not necessarily new formats, but increasingly popular formats like online shopping and grocery delivery, food delivery and, and takeout. And, and how can we address some of the challenges that are being presented? So I'm, I'm going to go first to Bob and then we'll go through Catherine and, and Thomas. Great. Thanks, Matt. Um, I think that, as Frank Giannis pointed out in his, again, IFT Shift 2020 presentation, online shopping um, has surged during the COVID-19 pandemic. And according to him and one survey out there, it reports that about 31% of the U.S. households are uh, engaged in online grocery services. And, and clearly, as Kathy mentioned in her remarks a few minutes ago, the delivery of those perishable foods is certainly a concern. And uh, in order to ensure safety of those products, the cold chain must clearly be maintained from the time those foods leave the production or distribution facility or the preparation facility, if it's a restaurant uh, and takeout food, to the time the consumer retrieves the items and, and properly stores them in the refrigerator or freezer. Uh, and I think that we need to um, talk about the need for effective systems that need to be in place to keep those perishable foods at proper temperatures during transit and delivery. And I, I'm thinking even uh, some of the personal shopping services that are out there where people buy products and then put them in their cars and deliver them to multiple families, uh, certainly that uh, the temperature, the potential for temperature abuse during transit and delivery, and, and how long does it uh, sit uh, on someone's porch or in front of someone's door before um, the, uh, the purchasing uh, consumer um, puts that into proper storage. So clearly that, that is a concern, and we need to think about what systems need to be in place to uh, prevent problems from happening. Right. Catherine, what are your thoughts here on, on some of these new challenges? I, I know you touched on a few of them already, but uh, your thoughts on some of the new challenges and any ideas of how they can be addressed? Yes, I think Bob really nailed a lot of those a lot of those really hot topics that we have to address, and they aren't easy to address because, frankly, who has control over them? Who you know really who is responsible for that last hour of the food item that goes directly to the consumer? And and it's it's you know as beautiful as FDA's uh, program is for their food safety blueprint, using technology um, to focus on traceability, to focus on transparency, to focus on using tools to monitor throughout the supply chain, um, predictive analysis, predictive technologies. These are really wonderful emerging tools and emerging programs that I think FDA will usher in very well over the course of the next few years. But it focuses on the retail side of the supply chain. 
Uh, it goes from the farm to the retailer. What happens from the retailer or the food service establishment to the home, that last hour of, of life, if you will, for that food product is, is so important. The last hours, perhaps. Uh, I think, you know, Bob identified it, people who are doing great deeds to help others who are homebound in this COVID crisis to have a safe or to have food, an adequate food supply. They're picking up food. They're delivering it to multiple places. Who knows how long that food is stored? Is it stored in refrigeration conditions? Um, I don't know. Um, I tend to suspect probably not. Uh, and these are things I hope that will emerge and change as we go forward and maintain these practices. Uh, again, the delivery tools, uh, just as we learned to deliver hot pizza and got better at that, we will learn to deliver cold milk <laughs> and get better at that. And I think these are things that we will simply evolve to do. But they're things we have to focus on, that we have to talk about uh, as a food technology community. I think we, it's important that we keep these issues very, very visible, help our regulatory agency do what they need to do in providing tools and transparency throughout the supply chain for the retail market, but then also really focus on what that consumer needs as well. Absolutely. Thomas, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, one of my one of the things I was really excited about in the New Era Smarter Food Safety Blueprint is the focus on, you know, the business model aspects uh, and its impact in, in um, food safety. And I think we've really touched upon this really quite well already with the, um, you know, the impact of last mile distribution, you know, with the increased amount of takeout and, um, and home grocery delivery. Uh, but, you know, what we're, one of the things we need to be frank about, you know, when, with this emergence in these is that these are, um, and last mile distribution, these are often software companies that are really heading this, these efforts up, you know, Uber Eats or DoorDash or, you know, Postmates, they're all positioned as software companies. They are connecting, they're connecting consumers to the places which they're buying and they're providing us a, a platform for contractors to, uh, administer the food and to, to distribute the food. And so the, that changes the calculation on liability and changes the calculation on, you know, where is, the, you know, who is responsible for that risk when there's when distribution, you know, and more conventional um, food delivery companies or food delivery uh, uh, scenarios that, you know, that risk and that uh, oversight on, you know, the delivery of that, you know, of like, for instance, pizza um, was, you know, on the onus of, of that company. But when you're having independent contractors that are responsible individually for those food safety considerations and ensuring the cold chain or hot chain of that food, um, that really changes a lot of the way we think about regulation, the way that we think about education as well. And um, also uh, how to, you know, kind of move from food safety in a, you know, continuous learning environment to, you know, food safety behavior in a gig economy and a gig in, in, in a, a gig role. So those I think are particular challenges that of the economic structure that we have to think about and how do we take what we know about food safety and ensuring safe delivery of food and making it work in a uh, sector that, um, is used to disruption as a method of, you know, changing the um, economic landscape. Thomas, your comments really stimulated some thinking on my part. And, and clearly, uh, this is a situation where we really need to partner with technology companies, with people outside the, the food realm to, to learn what they're doing and how they're doing it and to benchmark against some of the fantastic things that they're doing. And I think uh, when we think about just uh, ride sharing and how all those rides are coordinated and, and uh, uh, deliveries, uh, whether it be Amazon or UPS or, or whoever, but looking to other industries to learn how they're using some very, very sophisticated technologies to improve efficiencies and operating costs, et cetera, et cetera, to then um, use those technologies to uh, uh, ensure the safe uh, delivery of foods and, and other things as well throughout the food chain. Exactly, Bob. I mean, it's one thing that I've been thinking about over the last couple of years is that is this kind of a new meaning to what we think about as food technology as well? Um, is, you know, as food supply chains become digital and be, as, you know, digital means and di digital methods coincide with, you know, physical processes, you know, what can we learn from, you know, the 
the digital sector is the the tech sector. And, you know, do those worlds start to um, combine and some of those methods start to combine? Well, and I think this is a really, really great segue. You guys are just giving me all the segues I ever need for a podcast. But, you know, one of the elements of the of the blueprint is uh, smarter tools and approaches for prevention and outbreak um, responses. And this element is really, you know, focused around exploring how um, these modern food safety approaches, like we've discussed, can can uh, allow us to prevent uh, outbreaks uh, before they even happen. And they also generate new data streams. And, and there's also new tools for rapidly analyzing big data. So I'm curious, you know, to build on this discussion, what role does innovation in emerging technology and, and these tech startups, what role do these play in transforming our food safety efforts in this country and, and really globally? So, you know, maybe uh, Bob or Thomas, if one of you wants to jump in, and then we'll kind of go through everyone again. Sure. I think that certainly innovation and emerging technologies will transform food safety efforts in the future. And and these efforts are moving so quickly ahead right now. Uh, I was really excited to read the uh, new era of food safety document that FDA put forth because I think there's some tremendous ideas that we can capitalize on. And, And a lot of progressive companies are actually working on those and, and implementing those right now. So I think, you know, the, the, the old adage, the future is now, is, is really very important. And, and you think about how our innovations and new technologies are already being used in the development of new foods, uh, and novel ingredients, uh, new food production and processing methodologies, um, and things like artificial intelligence, the use of sensors, machine learning. You mentioned big data analytics, um, root cause analysis that Kathy mentioned before, predictive analytics, uh, and many, many, many others will certainly play a major role in transforming food safety efforts and have a huge impact on the efficiency, the efficacy, and the effectiveness when applied to food safety management systems. And I, I think that these innovations and technologies have the potential to significantly improve those predictive responses so we can identify potential food safety issues before they translate into outbreaks and recalls and, and therefore protect public health and, and have a, a, a assuring a safer food supply. And I certainly think that Frank's comment of Food safety in the future needs to be both high tech and high touch is really brilliant because I think it is a combination of digital technologies as well as high touch with people involved as well. So um, I'm anxious to hear what my uh, podcast colleagues uh, have to say about this issue as well. Go ahead, Thomas. Yeah, I can talk a little bit more directly on the, um, the, you know, the, opportunities in big data and AI and machine learning, predictive analytics, um, and kind of where that were some of my thoughts on where that could that where that could lead. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a open question exactly where these will where these uh, advanced methods and data analytics, which is kind of what I broadly and when I broadly talk about them, where they will impact food safety the most. One of the, you know, there's obvious, um, you know, learnings from, you know, other, you know, other applications in like logistics management and, you know, improving the like delivery time, shortening that that time, being able to, uh, you know, improve the, the cold chain um, through improved uh, distribution methods. But one of the things that, you know, machine learning can really do is be able to, you know, combine, you know, seemingly unconnected pieces of information and come up with a, you know, a new method or a new, um, you know, a new result that may have been missed in, uh, you know, in previous statistical methods. And that's really where, um, you know, the ability to systematically create large, very, very large data sets um, with um, in a consistent data collection manner is really key. So I think one of the things that is really important in being able to innovate upon these methods is first to understand the, the algorithms and what they do and what they don't do. 
um, you know, really we've had a large degree of success in um, image processing, for instance, and in, in machine learning techniques. Um, and, uh, you know, also in predictive analytics, there's uh, machine learning has has been very um, promising. But these all a lot of these techniques have been innovated because we had uh, the data sets available to um, to to de further develop those uh, algorithms on. So I, I'm really curious to see how FDA um, uh, helps uh, administer this um, these kind of test and sample data sets, similar to what the nationals or the what NIST did, National Institute of Science and uh, Standards and uh, Technology. Um, um, did in order to help further um, computer science research into into innovating these um, these techniques. So, if I can add to that, I think one of the really fascinating approaches for the FDA uh, food safety blueprint is the use of predictive tools. And you know, we need to think about predictive technologies in ways that that will really facilitate problem solving uh, in advance of having the problems, if you will. You know, going back several years, we were upended when we found salmonella grew in, in nuts, in particular peanuts. And the large recall related to Peanut Corporation of America was an upending of the industry. I mentioned earlier the finding of pathogenic E. coli in produce upended the produce industry. You know, we think as much as possible as these predictive tools can help us to preempt being surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. As food scientists, as food technologists, we shouldn't be surprised by the way that science works and that we need to, to um, again, use these tools in order to avoid those surprises. I have I have another thought too on on um, on the food safety platform, the food safety blueprint, and that is it's pushing standardized framework to a a new level. I believe, and I really do applaud FDA's efforts in in not only trying to align uh, entities, but also accelerate their progress forward on use of technology, use of knowledge, use of data for knowledge in a way that I don't think we ever had before. Going back over a decade ago when the GS1 framework started to emerge, um, I was very excited by it, but really um, flustered, if you will, by the by the scope of the effort, the, the grandiose global effort to standardize vocabulary uh, so that we can communicate on a single platform, if you will, and facilitate traceability to a to a level un, unprecedented and unthought of before. I think also as FDA is working to extend that that standardized framework to federal and state collaboration uh, in trying to move adoption of the of the federal food code, uh, simple thing that has been confounded by federal and uh, state and local uh, regulations over over decades. Um, I think as we can move forward and collaborate and align better because of the need to move faster and the need to to uh, use each other as 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 tools to to move knowledge forward i think we have a chance to do that uh, we mentioned the use of large data sets the absolute you know acceleration that we have for knowledge from the use of public health databases that started by cdc and others uh you know more than a decade ago again we see great platforms there. The use of one language, you know, the single vocabulary, one voice, I think have so much power for us to move our food safety platform forward. I agree, Kathy. I think if we get everybody singing off the same sheet of music, pardon the, the analogy here, uh, we will be much farther ahead of the game in terms of uh, prevention and, and uh, improving food safety and public health. And, and to your point, um, there are a mishmash of of uh, local regulations and uh, the food code is adopted in whole or in part by a number of jurisdictions, but its adoption is certainly not universal. And uh, we really need to, uh, uh, what is state, local, tribal, and other programs uh, to adopt the food code so that we do have a uniform standard across the country. If you're a retailer and you operate in several different states, there are differences in regulations that are mind-boggling and, and make compliance very, very difficult across uh, a company's systems. Exactly. And I think if we can do anything, you know, out of this terrible moment, which is COVID-19, the pandemic, it is a huge disruptor. And we can recognize it as that 
And we need these disruptors every now and then to really move a paradigm. And hopefully we can, we can shake a lot of folks loose who have been uh, stuck, I think, in, a, in a, another paradigm of, of everyone has to do their own thing to really moving forward to align in, information, uh, rules and regulations, as Bob just outlined, and then also just knowledge uh, to move our, our, our public health platforms, our, our lives forward and avoid these, these uh, tragedies going forward. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I think this is a good time to talk about the FDA plan, the, the blueprint almost as a whole. You know, I think it, it's sort of a, a very grand view and, and very rather comprehensive, but I am wondering, you know, um, are there any challenges? You know, what are some of the key challenges that you see um, as the blueprint is implemented? Thomas, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I, I have a couple of thoughts um, with the challenges to um, enacting the blueprint. First of all, you know the the more obvious of the uh, the potential challenges may be that you know it is uh, September and we're less than sixty days away from the election. And you know, whenever there's a big election in Washington, it can um, it can impact, you know, the direction of, um, of initiatives. And so uh, I, I think that that introduces a little bit of, um, you know, uncertainty, but I think that it, um, you know, the blueprint is a very, um, actionable and very, um, you know, clear roadmap, um, on the role that FDA, um, has in, and, um, innovating uh, digital technologies for food safety. But the one thing that is also a little bit of a challenge, I think, is that when you look at the domains of these, you know, of these pillars, of these elements of the blueprint, and when you think about the implementation, um, there is a mix of modalities that will need to occur in order for them to be maximally effective. Um, so because there's, for instance, because there is so much emphasis on tech-enabled uh, traceability and other technologies that you really get into, um, you know, software development uh, or software development as a component of, uh, in or being able to see these, um, see these initiatives to fruition. And I'm uh, not saying that FDA is participating in that, but the methods for innovating or having um, software solutions are different from, you know, guidance around, you know, a you know, particular uh, pr prevention method for pathogen. Um, those are much, it requires much more of a public-private interaction. And I, I don't think that's necessarily a challenge. I see it's more of an opportunity, but it can, um, I think it's really showing some new ground for FDA to um, navigate um, with new industry players, um, because it won't just be you know, food companies and distributors and retailers, and, um, but it also it will be, um, you know, software com solution providers and, you know, hardware, computer hardware and IoT device manufacturers, for instance. Um, those, there's a whole new set of stakeholders and a new set of um, methods to ensure interoperability um, and to, um, you know, ensure effectiveness across the supply chain. So I'm, I'm curious to see what will happen, but I think it's, uh, that could be a, a challenge in um, seeing these the, the true potential of the of the blueprint. Right, right. Catherine, why don't why don't you weigh in here? I think I think it's really wonderful. The FDA new era for food safety blueprint is enabling new ways of thinking uh, and new ways of working for the food industry and you know, hopefully also for consumers. I think one of the great challenges will be to move our concept of goodwill about collaboration to reality. And I think that's, um, you know, it's a, a huge ask, if you will, and, and not necessarily up to FDA to have to deliver. I think we have to really work together to deliver that, that goal. But we have to be about consistency. We have to be about data sharing. We have to be open-minded uh, to be progressive. We have to use this moment, which is this great disruption, I think, to change a lot of paradigms where we accept that our regulators can help drive technology uh, can enable uh, technology providers to work together to provide knowledge, that we can use that knowledge in a collaborative sense to solve problems, to predict problems, and to solve them. So I think there's a lot of opportunity here, but we also have a responsibility to seize this moment and, and make changes. Bob, how about you? 
Yeah, first of all, I, I uh, want to commend FDA and particularly Frank Giannis, uh, Deputy Commissioner for Food Policy and Response, and his staff for their, their groundbreaking work. And, and I agree with what Kathy said earlier in this podcast. It, it is novel. It is innovative. And uh, they are really trying to address some key issues that will clearly move us forward. And I, I think if the blueprint is properly and completely implemented by companies throughout the system, it will certainly transform the landscape of food safety. And I'm very optimistic about its success. But as we always say, the devil's in the details. And, and there are a number of challenges that need to be addressed. And, and I think a few of these are very, very difficult. Certainly, as Kathy already outlined, the collaboration is an important, the coordination and collaboration is, is an important piece. And that certainly between industry, government agencies, academia, and other organizations who will participate in this effort is really based on, on trust and confidence in, in all the parties and stakeholders involved. And, and this will certainly be a crucial factor in, in advancing the details of the blueprint. How do we do this? How do we get everyone to, to buy in? to this whole process. And I think uh, what incentives are going to be provided for small and medium-sized companies to to do so? And I I think those are some of the questions that a lot of people have. What about the technical expertise and the financial resources needed to develop, implement, and maintain some of these new innovations and technologies? And obviously, who's going to fund it? Who's going to provide the personnel for this this really bold initiative? And again, um, I'm all for it. I think it's it's clearly the way to go. But uh, again, we've got to work out some of these issues with collaborative data sharing and uh, balance between that whole issue of transparency, the need for confidentiality, and and what are the protocols uh, for the use of the data. And, and, And those issues will certainly be challenging. Will there be a clearinghouse to address some of these challenges and issues? And uh, what about the education and training piece? And I've spent the good part of my career in food science thinking about doing training programs and, and uh, how are we going to coordinate uh, federal and state regulatory agencies, industry personnel, and consumers? So these, these tasks are monumental. Uh, we'll need a good coordinated effort. We'll need some funding. And uh, that's going to be uh, clearly an essential component to the blueprint Again, even the harmonization of, of uh, testing methodologies and, and used by different state and federal laboratories, how they collect their samples, how they analyze them, how they report out the data. So again, um, optimistic about uh, moving forward on this thing, um, this, this smart era of food safety, but lots of, of details that clearly need to be worked out. And uh, I'm sure, as Frank said, the best and brightest minds, there has been a lot of collaboration in the development of the blueprint. So hopefully all those folks will come together in the spirit of cooperation, uh, leave the baggage at the door and try to work together on making this a reality. Because at the end of the day, what does it do? It really improves the safety of the food supply throughout the chain. And clearly the bottom line is it improves public health. So it's the right thing to do. No, no doubt about it. And if I can add on that and go immediately down into the weeds, if you will, the concept, uh, which I hate to do, but uh, I have to, because I believe there's a, there's a very interesting concept here that, uh, that should work, could work. I just hope it will work. And that's the issue of virtual inspections. It's an absolute wonderful way to manage uh, safety and inspection and oversight in the day of COVID-19, but it's also a way to leverage FDA's inspection resources for the longer term if we can figure out a way to do it correctly with responsibility and transparency and, and do it well. Uh, but I think it's one of those, you know, those the devil in the details. I think this is a detail that um, we have an opportunity to make virtual inspection work. Uh, I hope it does. Uh, I think there's multiple challenges to to making it work and having it work for the long term. But I think that's um, it's one of the, the details there. Well, that's interesting. I think it's a good example of, you know, how this uh, time of, of dire need is going to really fuel some some forms of innovation for sure. So, you know, I think you, you've all touched on how complex but bold and, and forward thinking the FDA's blueprint is. 
But I'm curious about areas outside of that. What are some other ways that you might see food safety evolving over the next, you know, five to 10 years? Bob, let's start with you. Sure. I think uh, anyone who attends any scientific society meetings or um, global food safety uh, issue meetings recognize that there are many progressive and best-in-class companies, both in the food sphere and outside of it, that are already strengthening and improving their food safety systems with innovations and new technologies. And I used the example before of, of some companies that have really um, implemented robust tracing and tracking systems, and, and there's some very, very good case studies that show um, their successes. But also when you think about it, there are companies that are using the Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, and big data analysis to really hone in on improving their production processes, their processing processes, and, and distribution processes. And also, they've implemented a culture of food safety throughout their organizations. And there's, there's a couple of, of uh, food companies that have done an outstanding job in this area, and, and they've seen improvements in, in things like uh, employee esprit de corps, in productivity, decreases in product defects. And, and clearly, if you look at these best-in-class food companies who are on the way to improving their food safety, they're, they're, they're evolving in these areas right now through using all of these new technologies. And I think that certainly uh, those positive changes are, are not only occurring as we speak, but they are continuing to evolve in the food safety arena. Right. And I think your, your point about the culture of food safety is, is just so important um, because that can really be the breeding ground for a lot of the innovation that we need. Uh, Thomas, what are your thoughts on, on, uh, ways that you see food safety evolving outside of the blueprint? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the blueprint is quite broad. So it really, you can kind of have a lot of uh, components of it touch on other, you know, movements in the food safety realm. But one of the things that I've thought about as well is really the role of increased consumer information on food safety. And we've, we've touched really on this quite well with, you know, at least a greater awareness of Hand washing, but just in general, and and in general, better awareness of microbiology and epidemiology among the consumer base, and you know that and you know among the younger generations, you know, being nerdy or being interested in science is a lot more uh, cool than it used to be. So, I I feel like that that will you know continue to impact and um, influence the way consumers interact with their foods and with the their ultimate um, the retailers that they interact with as well so I, I see that you know part of this tech enabled traceability um, you know movement is also and you know and Frank has talked about this as well as and as a component of transparency is increased accountability and I I really see consumers as being a more integral component of the supply chain itself and being able to actually provide feedback into the supply chain further than just uh, their buying habits. So that that further connection and being able to directly, um, you know, inform the entity, you know, the organizations that they're buying from, I think will continue to increase. And I think that will um, change both industry behavior and consumer behavior when that that line of communication becomes more bilateral rather than just unilateral. And so uh, I'm excited to see exactly how that happens. Really, right now, you know, a lot of consumer facing traceability, for instance, is fairly one way and really um, has very basic information. But uh, I think when consumers are better have, you know, tech enabled tools, they can help that uh, inform and organize their um, thoughts around um, the safety of their products and uh, really have a more collaborative relationship for, between consumer and, and producer. That's a great idea. Catherine, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think that Thomas actually raised a, a very interesting point. That's about science. And we call it food science for a reason. And I think it's very interesting right now that we're kind of at a critical point. Science is a household word these days. And I don't mean that lightly. Uh, we're talking about science. We're talking about letting the science speak. We're talking about scientists representing uh, public health positions to the public from Dr. Tony Fauci to others and talking and letting these scientists speak, letting the, the process of finding a vaccine actually work based on the science and the validity of the whole process. 
And these are things I don't think consumers thought very much about. And they're things that we have to really, really support because again, it's food science and this needs to go forward. Science, the food science itself, whether it's food science or other science cannot be politicized, uh, whether it's vaccine development that we see today. But, you know, as we go forward, we have to avoid this politicization of, of, of the science and just let the science speak. And I think as food safety evolves, uh, using science as a platform, trusting science as a platform, being unafraid to speak to consumers and customers about science is is a very positive thing. And hopefully this is again a tipping point and one of those additional silver linings from the COVID-19 crisis. Well, with it being uh, National Food Safety Education Month, I, I am curious if each of you has you know one piece of information that you'd want future food safety scientists to know right now. Uh, Bob, let's start with you, and we'll go through everyone to get their advice. Jeez, Matt, as a as an academic, I have many more than one, <laughs> um, much to probably your chagrin. But I, I think that I'd like um, young food safety scientists to know that there are three components in my mind. Technical competence trumps everything. Trumps everything. Um, it's a multidisciplinary approach to food safety. And um, we've got to look outside the food sphere um, to learn from other industries and technology companies, et cetera, and incorporate those pieces into the, the food safety equation, if you will. And I think excellent communication skills are not only needed now, but certainly will even be more important in the future as we try to um, explain these new technologies and new innovations to uh, the general public uh, in the U.S. and around the world. The other piece that I think is really important is that uh, certainly young people today are not joiners, um, but joining professional societies, certainly like IFT, and you guys didn't put me up to this, um, (laughs) is really, really very important for networking with food safety professionals in the industry, academia and government. And and this is really crucial to keeping current in the field and, and learning about new innovations. And if if there was any tip that I could give folks, it would be these, these uh, very simple components. Um, get engaged, stay engaged, and network, network, and network. Excellent advice. Excellent. Catherine, Catherine, what, what are your thoughts? I think Dr. Gravani is always eloquent when speaking about the future of our food safety mm-hmm. scientists and specialists and, and students. Thank you, Bob. Um, I would just offer so the following, and that is, <laughs> that is um, first and foremost, be transparent. I think we've learned so much that consumers not only request us to be transparent, but require it. And for us to have confidence, for all of us to have confidence in the f- safety of our food supply going forward, we have to be transparent. I think we've learned some tremendous lessons and perhaps some, some hard luck stories uh, have driven some of that. But also, I think our our our, uh, our set of values uh, has also driven that. And, and we're moving into this realm where the expectation is to be transparent. I think that's just one of those monikers. I think the other thing is to be collaborative. Uh, that there are many stakeholders in food safety, whether it be the industry, government regulators, consumers, uh, scientists, um, academicians, etc. We have so many stakeholders and to be collaborative. No one has the best idea. No one has the only idea. Um, again, all of us are better than any of us. And I think collaboration is, is key to going forward. And the last message I would say is just be credible. Just remain credible. At all times, be remain credible. We represent this profession you know, now, and we want to represent this profession of food safety, food science in the future. And for us to maintain that integrity, we have to at all times stand on the science and just remain credible. I love that. Thomas, what, what's your thoughts for future food safety professionals? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Kathy has really touched on, actually both Bob and Kathy have touched on uh, the kind of what I, what I would like to highlight to future food safety scientists, um, really getting in that theme of collaboration. But, um, and we've talked about it throughout this podcast uh, in, in some depth about the, the, the needs for understanding food safety as culture and behavior uh, as a necessary component to ensuring food safety uh, 
as a whole throughout the system. But when you're thinking about skills that you're building, you know, what when in the for the future, um, for f- future food scientists, you one of the things that I've const- I really uh, concentrated on early in my career was to improve my people skills. Um, that actually being able to relate to folks and being able to articulate and, um, you know, convey the mess, the technical message that you need to uh, get across is essential to being able to um, actually achieve the food safety outcomes that you, that you desire. So you can be the most technical person um, possible, but if you can't articulate that to your audience in an appropriate way, it may not um, actually be, you know, the intervention that you have may not be effectively carried out. And uh, that means not only being able to be relatable and being able to, you know, understand where, where your audience is coming from, but also just having mutual respect um, throughout the system. So not only are, you know, um, you know, us academics or, you know, researchers also working on this, but also the food handlers are, you know, just as an important component to the system. Um, so it, it's really understanding that, you know, the challenges that each of us in our individual roles have, what the constraints are that are outside of food safety and how to negotiate those in order to continuously improve the system. Um, and that's achieved through, um, you know, effective communication and, uh, and mutual respect. That's great. Yeah, I think all of your points on staying engaged with the community, being transparent, being credible and, and focusing on your communication, that's just key not only for food safety, but really almost any food professional out there. Um, and I think that's a great way for us to wrap up our discussion today. I'd like to thank all of you so sincerely um, for sharing your insight on food safety. It's a pleasure with all of you. Always a pleasure. Mine as well. Thank you so much for having me. And I'd also like to thank our listeners. For more information on food safety, the future of the food supply chain digitization, and the regulatory landscape, be sure to check out IFT's InFocus event, Digitally Transforming Food Safety, on November 17th. There's a link to that in the description for this episode. If you're enjoying Food Disruptors, please let us know by leaving a review on iTunes or by connecting with IFT. You can find us at IFT and by searching the Institute of Food Technologists on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for listening to Food Disruptors. I'm your host, Matt Teagarden. Have a great day, everyone.